by its nature, the solar industry, its inherent DNA is to try and take costs out of the system. And I think it's one of the reasons why the industry has been so successful. The challenge that we have now is that we're getting to a point where we're almost swallowing our own tail in some instances because we're stripping so much cost out that there is going to be a point at which you go, okay, you're going to have to start to add some more cost in to really improve yields. Hello and welcome to the Solar Maverick podcast where solar meets entrepreneurship and experience. I'm your host, Benoit Thangin, so let's get into it. Hi, this is Benoit, your host of the Solar Maverick podcast. The podcast is brought to you by Renew Energy. We're a solar developer and consulting firm. Our website's www.reneuenergy.com. I'm excited on this episode of the podcast to interview Mark Culpepper. He's the general manager for global solar solutions at DroneBase, a comprehensive data service provider serving wind, solar, the real estate industry, and EPC and construction sectors. In solar, they focus on accurately and cost-effectively inspecting solar assets to identify system anomalies so solar project owners can increase energy output, recover lost energy revenue, and mitigate risk. Before Mark was at DroneBase, he started a company called Precision XYZ, a drone data services firm focused exclusively on the solar sector that was purchased by DroneBase. He has extensive experience as a technology executive working in sectors ranging from general aviation to data communications and wireless technology to network security and distributed energy. He's lived through three technology commoditization cycles, infrastructure as a service, solar as a service, and drone service providers. He worked at Sun Edison as CTO and general manager of global services. He leveraged IoT technology to lead the development of the world's first global service operation for distributed solar energy systems. This was a great interview with Mark. I learned a lot about DroneBase and their manned aircrafts and drones. Some of the interesting things that he talks about is the importance of thermal scans and how these thermal scans can be done at scale. How manned aircrafts allow thermal scans at a lot higher scale compared to drones. And it's amazing exponentially how many scans that they'll be doing. Mark and the drone-based team is forecast to scan around 80 gigawatts of solar next year and exponentially going forward. He also talks about how they have the serial ID tracking where it allows field crews to find exactly where panels are not working through using their smartphone or Bluetooth attached. And he talks about a lot of interesting trends that he's seeing in the industry. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Solar Maverick Podcast. Thank you for listening. Let's get into it. Hi, this is Benoit, your host of the Solar Maverick Podcast. I'm really excited to have Mark Culpepper on the podcast. He's the GM of Global Solar Solutions at DroneBase, and he's been in the solar industry for a very long time. And I'm excited because he's going to talk about what DroneBase is doing and what their thermal scans and it's amazing, like the innovation that I'll have to the industry. So, Mark, thank you for making the time today to be on the podcast. But no, it's my pleasure. I'm really uh, looking forward to our conversation. In the introduction, we talk about drone base, but it would be great if you could speak more about the company and your role specifically. Sure. So DroneBase delivers intelligent aerial imaging for high-value infrastructure in a single platform. Unlike some of the other companies out there, we provide a scalable single source of insights to help you recover revenue, reduce risk, and improve build quality. We work across a couple different verticals. So we work across solar, obviously, wind, properties, and properties encompasses a couple things, insurance, property management, roofing, and then, of course, AEC, EPC, which is basically construction management and oversight. 
that's pretty amazing to hear. And we're going to focus more on the solar. And if you wanted to talk about the wind side of it, because our podcast, we primarily focus on solar. It would be great too, to learn about your background before drone-based. You were an early employee with Sun Edison, which Jigger Shaw founded, which is one of the first solar developers that offered the PPA or Power Purchase Agreement product. Can you talk about your experience before drone-based and what got you interested in yeah. drones and yeah. man flights for thermal? Yeah, sure. So when I came into Sun Edison, I originally came in as part of an acquisition. So I was the VP of business development for a small company in Sacramento called Team Solar. I say small, but at the time, Team Solar was actually doing what we considered in that day, large systems, one megawatt trackers. And that was one of the main reasons that they were targeted for acquisition by Sun Ed. I came in initially and did all the marketing and go to market for Sun Edison. And as part of that, we were talking a lot about production and about the PPA. And they would be like, well, how much have you produced? More like the sun comes up, the sun goes down. It's hard to say, blah, blah, blah. And the reality was we really didn't have a system for tracking that. So what I did was basically build an internal tracking system, which eventually became to be called Seeds. And essentially what that was, was a data acquisition system that allowed us to get 15 minute interval data on all of our power plants across the world. That became the foundation for our rock, which is one of the first renewable operation centers that was built in the world. We ended up building three of them, one in Europe, one in India, one in the United States, and provided kind of 365 days a year of tracking of our power plants. So when I left in late 2011, we had about between one and a half and $2 billion of assets under management, about 550 power plants around the world that we were tracking. And one of the problems that we had with our O&M and asset management team was we would have some power plants that just wouldn't perform. I'd call them kind of the bad seeds in the bunch. And every fleet owner has this problem. You just have a power plant that from almost day one, it just has problems. And you just know within the first six months that you're going to be spending time at this plant for pretty much the duration of the plant's life. Some of those plants were really interesting. We had a power plant up in Canada that was underperforming and we couldn't figure out what the issue was. We, you know, we went through our maintenance schedules. We went through the data acquisition systems. We really couldn't pinpoint it. And what we came to the conclusion was that we had a problem with the modules themselves. And the only way to really troubleshoot that is with either electroluminescence or a thermal scan. And so walking an entire field with a thermal camera, that was a 10 megawatt power plant. At that time, that was a large power plant. And to walk at a 10 megawatt plant with a handheld thermal scan is painful and expensive. So I was over at a conference in Germany at Intersolar Europe, actually, big conference. And it's 2010, saw one of the very first UAVs with a thermal camera equipped. And I was like, man, this would be exactly what we need for our Canadian power plant problem. Scan it efficiently. The problem with it was that it was like a quarter million dollar piece of machinery at that time. There was no regulatory framework. There was no trained operators. I mean, just you go through the list and it was just screamed early technology, not ready for showtime. I've kind of put that in the back of my mind and said, this is going to be really important for the sector. And when I left Sun Edison in late 2011, I started to do work on the side with drones because having come from tech, you know, anything that is big and a little bit ungainly, but valuable is going to get small 
cost effective and much more valuable with time. So I started working with drones in 2011, late 2011, early 2012. And then by 2016, Compadre and I basically started a company called Precision XYZ, which was a drone data services firm designed to focus on the solar value chain front to back. We did that for about three years. We had done a little over a gigawatt throughput capacity. And my conclusion by the end of year three was that scanning power plants with drones is not the most cost-effective way to meet the needs of the industry. And in terms of the scale of the industry, it's not the right solution in and of itself to address the needs of the overall industry. So let me give you some metrics there. With a drone, you can scan, generally speaking, about 20 megawatts of solar capacity per day. With a manned aircraft, like this last year, we rolled a scan 516 megawatts in about four and a half hours. So it's an order of magnitude improvement in terms of what capacity you can actually inspect with manned aircraft. And one of the reasons that we sold PXYZ to DroneBase, even though the company is called DroneBase, DroneBase was one of several companies we talked to about acquisition. They were the only company that actually had a manned aircraft component. And I was convinced that unless we could move to a manned aircraft model or what we call an integrated flight operations model, one that uses both manned aircraft and drones and optimizes costs based on the client need, we weren't going to have a solution. We were going to have to go out and chase capital at a pretty high premium at that point. So, you know, it became an easy decision to basically move over to drone base and run their global solar ops with what I thought was a really good platform for scaling up to meet the needs of the industry. Yeah, that's amazing to explain your background and how you got to drone base today. And thank you for your leadership in the solar industry and continuing to innovate. It's interesting to hear back when you're at Sun Edison, a one megawatt project was a large project or 10 megawatts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it was the evolution of space has been amazing, honestly. And then to create a data DAS system and then to scale it really across the country and the world and how many projects that you were looking at and then to see the opportunity with drones and how it become more economical from going to Germany for InterSolar than starting your own company and then being strategic by partnering or Precision XYZ getting acquired by DroneBase. I really appreciate the statistics that you gave on the difference between manned aircraft and drone base on how much time it would take to do a thermal scan of projects and how it's a lot quicker with the manned aircraft. Can you talk about yeah. why that's the case? Go into more detail. Yeah, sure. I think one thing I definitely want to convey is there is definitely a use case for drones. In fact, most of the clients that we work with use both drones and married aircraft. The difference is in where you apply that technology. So, you know, that old saying that if the only tool in your toolbox is a hammer, everything starts to look like a nail. I think that couldn't be more true with aerial inspections. If the only thing you have is a drone, then you start to think, well, you know, I'm going to go do my annual health check. Well, to do an annual health check on a large portfolio with drones takes a lot of time. It's more expensive than you need to be spending your money on. And you're taking what are arguably some of your more valuable resources offline to conduct the scan. However, what I will say is that what drones are particularly good at are spot checks, on-demand checks, 
they're a very efficient tool for field sales engineers to use when they're trying to troubleshoot a problem and they're arriving new at a site where they don't have any information on that site. They're also even useful once when we conduct an annual health check for our clients, they have that data in their hands, but they may take the drone with them anyway to say, has anything changed in the last two weeks, three weeks, four weeks since scan was conducted? And it allows them to get really efficient. So we have a concept we call integrated flight operations. And that's basically tying together the data that you get off the annual health check from the manned aircraft and allowing the field technician to be able to use UAPs for those on-demand or spot needs to help them get efficiently to their problem areas and really troubleshoot problems at the site in near real time. So it's really not an either or proposition. We like to say that the tyranny of the or, as one of my old colleagues from Sun Edison used to call it, why can't we do both? I want to do both. And for us, when we looked at this, we said, well, let's talk about cost efficiency. So when you think about those stats that I was throwing out, it takes about 20 individual operators with a drone can cover about 20 megawatts a day manned aircraft can cover half a gigawatt. Now, the reality is you're not going to deploy a manned aircraft for a single site unless it's a really large site, mm -hmm. but you're not going to send them out to say, hey, I've got a 500 kilowatt rooftop, you go inspect that. In that scenario, it's going to be more cost effective to actually have an operator on the ground and fly that with a UAV. Yeah. Conversely, if you're like, hey, I've got to do an annual health check on a portfolio of a gigawatt, and I've got 60 sites. Well, a manned aircraft can do about 60 sites in a day. To do that equivalent with drones, if you wanted to do it all in a day, you're literally talking about having close to 60 operators. Yeah. So from a cost effectiveness standpoint, it does not make sense. And this is about cost optimization and through capacity. There's some really interesting things happening. I mean, the industry has grown so much since I started, since you originally got involved in it. The thing that is fascinating and particularly from the standpoint of thermal inspections and asset maintenance is that if you look at the aggregate capacity of thermal inspection companies in the industry right now it might be 40 gigawatts and what we realized and what i realized at pxyz was to stay relevant to the industry we have to grow up and we have to operate at the scale of the industry so for example this year Drone base will scan about 25 gigawatts of capacity. By this time next year, we'll have scanning and throughput capacity of about 80 gigawatts. And we expect those numbers to continue to rise at a material rate. We have to in order to remain relevant to the industry. Otherwise, the industry will get to a point where they'll be like, yeah, thermal inspections are great, but I can't find anybody who can really do it at that in the speed and efficiency and at the scale that I need. So maybe we're going to look at a different solution or a different alternative or another approach. In our mind, if you're not thinking at scale, if you're not building a business with the intent to solve the problem in the industry, you really shouldn't be in the space. If you've got a throughput capacity of say 10 to 15 gigawatts, you're just not operating at the right scale. You might be able to create a nice little corner business, but in terms of addressing the needs of industry investors, owners, operators, it's not the right solution is amazing to hear about staying relevant and scalable and drones and manned aircraft are a combined solution to do thermal scans. I think the other interesting point too is like 
the acquisition uh, by drone base of Precision XYZ. It just seemed like a natural fit with the manned aircraft, as you mentioned, and really to scale the product. And I mean, it's amazing to hear from going to, I guess, 25 gigawatts this year to I think you said 80 gigawatts potentially next year, like yeah. capacity. That's a huge number in a very short period of time. So amazing scalability to be able to well, do that it's, quickly within a year. Yeah, it's really a testament to the investment that we've placed. We see solar obviously as a key vertical for us. It's obviously an industry that's growing very rapidly and has real needs. Kind of you float up to 50,000 feet and you kind of look at the industry and you go, one of the main challenges for the industry and one of the things that we hear on a regular basis from our clients and our partners is how do I scale up? How do I implement new automation technologies? Literally, they cannot hire enough field technicians and electricians to service the amount of capacity that's being built. So you have to take an approach of leveraging automation and then making sure that those technicians are focused on the right problems. Let me give you another anecdote. We did a scan for a asset owner who had a you know, north of 30 power plants in the Carolinas. And we found about 10,000 defects. I can tell you having run an asset management organization that if somebody came to me and said, great news, Mark, we found 10,000 defects. I'd be like, shoot me in the head, be done with it now. But what our platform allowed them to do is basically say, yeah, there's 10,000 defects. But if you just focus on these 200, these 200 will recover 95% of your losses. So both from a financial standpoint and just a, a power output standpoint. So it's really about making sure that we get our clients, as we like to say, get them to the cheese quickly. The things I worried about when I was head of asset management and O&M at Summit yes. was the safety of my field crews. Mm -hmm. I did not want anybody to die because we had made a mistake at the site. And these are real considerations. I can tell you that what was pretty far down on my list was thermal inspections. When I started in the sector, we were charging $19,000 a megawatt for maintenance. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah, per annum. And today at a utility scale plant, I think operators are lucky if they could get $3,500 to $4,000 a megawatt. Mm -hmm. So as a percentage of that budget, thermal scans need to be very, very small percent. It's just the reality of it because they've got a lot of other things they have to take care of at a power plant like that. So our job is to make it simple, cost-effective, accurate, and reliable. And when we do that, we provide a platform for the clients to continue to leverage this data and really integrate it into their overall operational workflow. For sure. That's great explanation. I think another key aspect of it is as well, you're able to save a lot of costs for the asset manager O&M company with having the electrician come on site and do things like manually because they usually command like a six-figure salary. So it can be very expensive. So it's great that you're automating and creating technology that basically could help be more efficient when it comes to finding the major cheese to fix problems. Yes, that's exactly right. I mean, in December, we completed the acquisition of a company called AirProbe out of India. AirPro brought another layer to this equation for us. Our focus at drone-based, ironically, we'll call it drone-based, but our focus for solar had really been manned aviation. AirPro's focus has really been on UAVs. They really helped strengthen that muscle memory for us on the UAV front. They also brought some other pretty unique tools to the table. One of them is a serial ID tool. 
So think about this, you know, you can have some of these power plants, there might be a half a million panels at the power at the site. If your manufacturer comes to you and says, Hey, we've got some good news and some bad news, but the bad news is I'll give you that first. We had a manufacturer's defect run out of those half a million panels. We've got about 50,000 that are bad, but the good news is the serial number IDs are from zero to nine, 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 nine. You as owner operator be like, that's great. I have no idea where those 50,000 panels are in my array. I just know that they're somewhere out there. So what serial ID tracking allows you to do is literally lots of field crews to use a smartphone or a Bluetooth attached scanner to walk the field and scan every module. And then we'll assign its geographic identity and location to that module. So that if you do get that call, you're literally going to be able to pull that up and go, okay, here's where all the modules are and be able to strip them out and replace them efficiently. So that process is one of the things that AirPro brought to the table. They also brought a lot of AI and ML technology, which allows us to accelerate delivery of our reports to our clients when we do our thermal scans. This goes to that whole thing of how do you scale this up? How do you automate this entire industry? Thermal scans are one part of it. Serial ID tracking is another part of it. We even do things during construction. So we have construction monitoring platform that allows you to count, for example, a number of piles that you've driven, number of racks you've installed, modules, et cetera. This drive toward automation is core to kind of our business and how we think about the problem for solar, wind, and properties. As a leading authority in the solar industry, life gets very busy. In addition to traveling the world as a speaker and for my entrepreneurial ventures, I'm a son, friend, investor, and entrepreneur. And when it comes to delivering a great sounding show for my listeners, I choose Podcast Laundry. All I have to do is record and send and the rest is done. They do the dirty work of podcasting for me. Yes, social media graphics, quotes, show notes, master editing, and much more. All I have to do is record. So if you're a busy podcaster like me with an engaged audience and want to free up your time to do more of what you you love, like going to the gym or spending time with loved ones, go to podcastlaundry.com to schedule your consultation or call 347-871-8273. That's podcastlaundry.com or 347-871-8273. Yeah, that's serial ID product. That's pretty innovative and how you're using automation, technology, AI with the acquisition of that company based in India. And it's interesting to me because I'm sure you've heard this, like KWH Analytics, a lot of other research have come out that most solar projects, specifically in the U.S., are underperforming the initial production estimates. So it's huge, the work that you're doing to make sure that these plants work as optimally and efficiently as possible at the lowest cost. So that's a great value to the industry because I think it's a big need. Yeah, I think the underperformance that you see in the industry right now, it's a really interesting dynamic for starting the sector. We were the first one to really implement a global operations center and use that to really drive performance. We saw pre and post implementation of our noble operation in Iraq. We saw literally a 10% improvement in asset performance. Literally, we were doing nothing other than looking at the data acquisition, literally having eyeballs on the screen, looked at the data acquisition system. And when we had an outage, dispatching a crew to fix it. That was all we were doing. And that got us 10 points and not basis points, 10 percentage of improvement across the asset fleet. So we went from an asset that was performing in the 95% range 
to an asset base that was performing at 104% of its rated capacity. Sun Edison had at that time, arguably the most complete and comprehensive data set of any provider in the market. What that allowed us to do is when we developed an asset and we went to sell it to a bank or investor, we could say, here's our historic performance ratios and what that looks like. And that should drive the conversation around what is the price of the plant that you're going to sell. You have to trust the data. Now they would come back and say, yeah, but it's your data. And we'd say, fine, use someone else's data. And they'd be like, well, there is nobody else's data. And we'd be like, right, because we're the only one who's collecting it in this way. I say, if you want to scrutinize our data, go ahead, run it through your own. And invariably come back and they'd be like, okay, well, we're going to acknowledge that you guys have the best data right now in the market. That allowed us to set higher prices, literally anywhere from one to three percentage points higher on our sale price. So they made a big difference. Now, I think what's happened is since then, the market has kind of swung the other direction where assets are being oversold. And we see that in some of the clients that we work with. We did a job on a pretty large 100 megawatt facility where they wanted us to come and do a power analysis. We don't do the power analysis. We collect the data that enables you to do an accurate power analysis on shade fall, things like this. Yeah. So we generate that data. We generate an as-built of the power plant, not an as-built that you get when it's completed, which as a lot of people know, is not actually representative of what was built, but it's just kind of what the engineer diagram said was built. So what we do is we actually generate the full model of it. And then we hand that model off to our power engineering partners. They run the analysis and then we provide that back to the client. Essentially, our ability to model the plant, to digitally represent the plant, feed it through the power analysis, and then get an accurate statement back to the client is what's valuable. They were able to look at it and go, okay, so basically we paid too much for this plant. Nobody wants to hear that, but that's reality. And I think right now there's probably more scrutiny on that than there has been in quite some time for both the buy and the sell side because it's important to both parties and it's important to the industry as a whole, of course. Most of the financial models have some flux built into them to accommodate those kind of variances because at the end of the day, you are measuring light and that's not a perfect science. So you are going to have some degree of variance in the overall system performance. But I do think this whole technology approach is what really allows us to do things effectively. Those are all great insights. And it's interesting because you could easily show the ROI of using drone base with the power analysis, because that's a huge way of basically taking data and showing. For sure. I think what's interesting to us too is to take a tracker, for example. So the trackers are optimized on something called backtracking. And I, I don't know if your audience knows about what that is, but in short, what it does is in the old days when we would build a tracker, the tracker would track in the morning when the sun came up and it would go at a predictable rate. When the sun went down, it would rotate back into a start position. And there was really no adjustment for that. It just did it at a standard rate across the entire array. What backtracking recognized was that when you do that, you're going to have some periods of time when one segment or one row is going to cast shadow on the row mm -hmm. to its east or its west. And you're going to lose production because of that. And so what backtracking did was it basically allowed you to kind of tweak where those panels were at any given moment in time to absolutely eliminate, in some cases, shade fall amongst your peers on the right or left side of you. 
And that generates anywhere from five basis points, which is not very much. It can be a lot. I mean, it can be in the percentage range of incremental performance out of the array. In order for those to work well, you have to have really accurate measurements on the height of each pile in the array and the height and top of the rack. If you don't, if your backtracking algorithm says it's built up, say the asphalt that you got from the engineer, which do not reflect what was actually built field, you're not going to get the performance improvement that you thought you were. So this is another example of using aerial data, intelligent aerial imagery to say, here are the precise heights within a few centimeters of every single one, your trackers, so that you can optimize your backtracking and get the maximum value out of your PowerPoint and really get the highest yields from an investment standpoint. I appreciate you explaining about taking aerial data and from backtracking to basically maximize the production of the system. That's pretty interesting to hear like all the different capabilities. And two, as you mentioned, it's not just O&M and asset management. You're getting involved in the development, construction, which is really innovative to me. Like I didn't really appreciate that until hearing about it in the pre-interview. And obviously you've discussed that during the interview as well, but that's an important thing as well for people to understand that you could use aerial data, not just for O&M or asset management. I think by its nature, the solar industry, its inherent DNA is to try and take costs out of the system. And I think it's one of the reasons why the industry has been so successful as a whole. The challenge that we have now is that we're getting to a point where we're almost swallowing our own tail in some instances because we're stripping so much cost out that there is going to be a point at which you go, okay, you're going to have to start to add some more costs in to really improve yields. I mean, I do think the O&M space is getting very close to that at this point. You think about charging, say, $3,000 a year on O&M on the power plant per megawatt for utility scale, $3,000 is not a lot of money. I know at SunEd, our truck roll cost just to get a crew to a power plant was anywhere from 900 to $1,500. That's before they turned a single wrench just to get the crew to the site. So you think about $3,000 per megawatt, you can't get a lot done with that kind of budget. So I do think that as these assets continue to be deployed, performance is going to be more and more of a point of focus. I think that there is a floor. I don't know if we've entirely hit it yet, but there is a floor to what you can actually do with these plants from a maintenance standpoint. It's literally the cheapest asset on the planet from energy output standpoint to maintain. There's nothing cheaper right now, with exception of maybe firewood. <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's about as cheap as you can get. <laughs> and even with fire, what if every once in a while you got to clean out the pit? Short of that, I think the industry is really going to have to figure out how else can I automate? How can I leverage automation across these implementations? I totally agree with you. And your clients, are they usually like asset owners, O&M, asset management, developers, EPC? Is that the core? That would be yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So, well, obviously on the thermal side, the people we tend to work with are asset owners, O&M companies. And then we do work with EPCs under their warranty period. So if you're an EPC and you typically hold a warranty on the asset anywhere from three to five years, there's usually some sort of thermal inspection protocol built into that. We allow you to do that extremely efficiently without deploying crews, without having to schedule anything. It's just literally you give us the target list and we'll go out and fly it. That kind of feeds into this concept that we developed called the North American Solar Scan. I know we had talked about that previously, but essentially it's a model that 
talks of this idea of using manned aircraft and UAVs. And for annual health inspections, what we'll call it NAS 22, is think of it as a bus route. It's the difference between buying a bus ticket and renting a car to try and get to where you want to get to. If you want a lot of flexibility, you rent a car. If you want to get there the most cost-effective route, you get the bus ticket. Mm -hmm. So what the NAS does is we fly that in the spring and the fall. We have a flight operations based on both the West Coast and the East Coast. And we roughly split the country in half. We are potentially going to add a Midwest corridor that will run from Texas all the way up to Minnesota. But right now we're able to cover the country efficiently with both the Eastern and Western operations areas. But essentially what that does is if you are on that bus route, you're going to get a very cost-effective annual health inspection. It's just a way more efficient way to collect data and then provide clients the insights they need on what the condition of their asset is at the start of the year. Yeah, I really appreciate you going into the North American solar scan. And it would be great if you could explain to our audience about, let's say, if they have a project to see if they're in the flight pathway. Like, how does that work sure. on your website? Yeah, sure. If you actually go to our website, we have a button that you can follow that will allow you to input your asset, just put in the location of your asset and the size of your asset and give us your email and what will give you a, a response basically on the page is you're either going to be on the bus route, you're not on the bus route. If you're not on the bus route, then basically one of two things, if the asset is large enough, we will dispatch manned aircraft to service it. So we had a very large asset that was north of 500 megawatts in Texas this last year. They turned it up outside of the window or NASCAN. We dispatch for that asset because it was sufficiently large. For a asset that's not on the bus route, we'll do it one of two ways. As I said, if it's large enough or it's another portfolio that's large enough, we'll still dispatch aircraft to do it. If it's a smaller asset that's too far off of the corridor, we have almost 90,000 operators right now in our global UAV network. And what we can do is if you don't have your own UAV team, we can actually have one of our operators go out there and scan that with a UAV. So this goes to that whole idea of making sure you're optimizing costs. You don't want to send a manned aircraft if it's a thousand miles off the route. It's just more efficient to have a local asset with a thermal scanning UAV go out there and scan that asset. And then we'll process it and present you the reports. So a lot of options there, but the easiest way to check is literally go to the website and look for the NAS link on the solar page. And that will basically take you to find out if you're within the scanning path or not. Mark, we'll have the NAS link in the notes of the podcast as well, if people are Perfect. interested in looking great projects. And I really appreciate your thought leadership in the industry. You're a maverick in the solar industry. You've been in it for a very long time. It would be great to get your perspective on what trends you're seeing in the industry. You talked actually about a lot of different trends throughout the interview, but maybe there's some trends you didn't talk about or you want to go into more detail. It would be great to get your perspective. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously the big trend is toward big. I think that as people recognize, and by people, I really mean IPPs, utilities, other energy delivery companies are recognizing the value in the asset class. And that's driving them toward larger deployments because the cost of deploying capital for a relatively small asset is not dissimilar to the cost of deploying capital in a much larger asset. And if you're trying to put money to work, it's easier to put money to work in a half a gigawatt or even a gigawatt facility 
these days. That's one thing we're definitely seeing. I think the other thing too, is that the number one challenge we hear from our vendors, you know, I mentioned this earlier, is getting talent, getting people who can actually go out and do the work. This is not Silicon Valley. You don't just put a bunch of developers in a garage and work about some magic code. Steel actually has to go into the ground. Hard things have to actually get done in the field. And that requires having the right people to do it and making sure that those people are being put to use most efficiently is at the crux of, of this conversation. So I think that really forces this discussion around automation. That's not going to go away. If anything, I think what we're going to see from a trend standpoint is this movement toward automation is absolutely going to be pretty highly pressurized. I would be surprised if in 10 years time, we don't have utility scale plants in particular that are almost entirely automated. Everything from cleaning to weed abatement, other things like that. And we're not quite there yet. Somebody asked me about automated weed abatement. And I said, well, you know, it's hard to beat a guy with a Pratt and Whitney and 15 bucks an hour with a machine that might cost $100,000 to do automated. But I think what we will see is that automation, that robotic technology over time, as the volumes increase and the industry moves down its own learning curve, I think we're going to see a lot of automation in this sector in the years ahead, for sure. I'm really talking about robotic automation on the systems. So that's kind of the trend that goes hand in hand with the tension around a labor availability. And I think the last piece of this that I see and that we definitely see is that assets are becoming aggregated. More people and more institutions are now interested in owning portfolios of assets and they cannot afford to have disparate data sources. They need to simplify their lives where they can. So being able to go to a provider that can be a single source of data for things that are relatively low on their list of to-dos, we definitely see that trend. I mean, it's one of the reasons why we're building the business the way we are, because we definitely see this trend toward data normalization and aggregation of assets. So those are kind of the four big ones that we see right now and that I definitely see on a regular basis in my own conversations with prospects and existing clients. Those are really great trends and perspectives. I agree with you on all that. I've been seeing the similar sort of trends and you mentioned how your company is doing a lot of automation and AI already. And I think 10 years from now, as you said, things are going to be very different and more advanced. So it's interesting to hear and the availability of labor too. There's just not mm -hmm. enough qualified people. So you have to find better solutions, which we're seeing Absolutely. with the industry and, and just all aspects because the industry is growing exponentially. Particularly right now, you know, with a, I won't say post COVID, I will say endemic stage of COVID, right? Yes. With the kind of explosion of the U.S. economy, I mean, I just heard the latest stats, like the economy has grew, I think they said 6.9% this year, which are numbers that typically you would have seen out of an emerging market. Yeah. But I think it's a testimony to kind of the pent up demand and the strength of the recovery that's created other problems, particularly in the logistics supply chain. And of course, with that kind of growth, you are going to get inflation it's inevitable. And there's not going to be a lot that we're going to be able to do about it other than just to ride through it in the near term. And I think the Fed will probably try and tighten things up a little bit and take a little bit of the heat off the economy. But from the standpoint of the industry, all those things amplify some of the items that we were talking about, the pressure on labor, the drive toward automation, 
the need to aggregate and collect data at scale, all those things tend in our favor, quite honestly. So we're pretty excited about where we're at and where we're going with this. Yeah, that's exciting to hear generally about the solar industry, but specifically about drone base and the opportunity, especially going to the future and hearing what potentials of the year ahead, but even five to 10 years from now, like is mind boggling of what the opportunity that drone base has in the market. So I really appreciate you sharing your insights. Like this has been a great interview, Mark. If our listeners wanted to learn more about drone base or about you specifically, like what's the best way for them to do that? Well, go on to our website, www.dronebase.com and just follow the bouncing ball. So speak, uh, <laughs> yeah, as far as the solar stuff goes, you know, you can just go straight to that page. It'll talk about all aspects of our solution offer. So we cover early stage development, construction tracking, thermal inspection, both a commissioning and ongoing O&M. And then a lot of those other technical aspects I was talking about, how do you optimize backtracking? How do you get serial ID tracking going for your entire facility? Things of that nature. So we've got a fair amount of information there. And if you are interested in participating in the thermal scan, just go onto the website and look for the North American Solar Scan 2022, NAS22 as we call it, and enter your data in there and find out if you're on the route or you're not on the route. That sounds great, Mark. We'll have that as well in the notes of the podcast. Easier for our audience to find out. Thank you again. This has really been an amazing interview and I appreciate you being on the Solar Maverick podcast. Thanks for having me, Benoit. It's been my pleasure. Anytime. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Solar Maverick Podcast. The Solar Maverick Podcast is brought to you by Renew Energy. We're a solar development and consulting firm. If you believe that this podcast is adding value to you, please give us a five-star review and share with those that you think could benefit from this information. Please email all questions, suggestions, and feedback to info at renewenergy.com. That's I-N-F-O at reneuenergy.com. The Solar Maverick Podcast is produced by Podcast Laundry and executive produced by Benoit Thangen and Kevin Y. Brown. 